Hey guys, it's me, Overreactor. Welcome back to another episode of Official Time Out, the episode where we talk about the rules of roller derby. I'm sure you guys have all been on pins and needles all week wondering which is a true and which is a lie about me that I said last week. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode and you just like don't want to be spoiled about what the answer is, then um, go back and listen to it and come back. But I don't think I fooled anyone. (laughs) I got a couple of comments and uh, messages about what people thought the answer was. And I said three stories. One was that my grandmother was uh, Miss America. Another story was that I accidentally shot an eight-point buck. And the other story was... um, Shoot, what was the other story? (laughs) No, it was a true one too. (laughs) The lie was that that I've never shot an eight-point buck. I've never shot anything for that matter. And I guess it just was too obvious because you guys all got it. Good job. Um, But shoot, what was the third thing I said that I did? It was a true thing. Oh, of course, I played a ukulele solo at the Red Rock Amphitheater in Colorado that's a true story. Uh, and yes, I just brought my ukulele in to the amphitheater and went as close to the stage as I was allowed. And it was on the same day as Nora Jones was performing. It just, you know, we weren't on the stage at the same time. <laughs> uh, but I, I couldn't fool anyone. So 20,000 points to everyone who got it right. Okay, for this episode... We're going to start with, uh, we're going to discuss section four. But first, I want to do another fun thing and share a derby story of another referee who I super duper admire. His name is The Ant Sir. And he posted this story on his Facebook. And he gave me permission to share it on the podcast. And I just thought it would be a good thing to share because we're all people. Yes. We're refs and we're skaters and we're announcers and we're non-skating officials and we are fans, but we're all people and we all have lives. So uh, here is the story of the answer. He says, can you share my story in hopes of helping someone in need? In honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, I would like to share my story. While I lived in Orlando and going to UCF, I fell hard into depression after some failed relationships, failing out of college classes, and losing my apartment. At one point, I was homeless and bumming it on some friend's couch. I was lucky my friend convinced her roommates that I just needed a place to crash until I got myself together. Suicidal thoughts raced through my mind during dark times. I finally reached out to my father back home and admitted that I was so afraid of letting him down that it was only resulting in me falling further down in life. My only savior there was I was working at a childcare center and finding inspiration, inspiring kids to be the best they could be. My father convinced me to move back to my hometown and I got the first job I applied for continuing my work with kids. I've now been running my own school called Child Care Network as the director where I lead 24 teachers and 162 kids. I share my story because I was able to make that connection and reach out for someone to help. If you are a skater struggling with mental illness, reach out to a friend, family member, or even a stranger on the Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. We want to stop stigma of anyone living through mental illness alone. 
And he now gives a description for Stop Stigma, and the website for that is StopStigmaNow.com. And it says, Stop Stigma was started as an effort to spread awareness of suicide, depression, and mental health through visual apparel and products. My hope is that one day, no one has to feel stigmatized, ashamed, or embarrassed that they are living with their own internal demons, whatever they may be. Talk to one another openly, and mental illness can be so much easier to treat. Stop the stigma. Visit StopStigmaNow.com to shop, read about Maven's story, and see a list of other resources. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-TALK, and that is 1-800-273-8255. And I am just so inspired about how open and honest the answer is about his own struggles and it's true it is very hard to even admit when we're struggling with those kinds of thoughts and feelings and I know a lot of people find great comfort in their participation with roller derby I know I do and I hope that if you're listening to this and you just need to reach out like call that number 1-800-273-TALK and you know Someone will be there to help you or call a friend, call a parent, call a derby teammate, you know, somebody that you love and trust. So anyway, thank you, The Answer, for sharing that. And if any of you guys have a derby story, if derby has impacted your life in a meaningful way, send me an email at overreactor at gmail.com. That's O-V-A-R-Y-A-C-T-O-R at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voice message in the app. And I can share your story in your own words. That would be really cool. Okay, we're going to take a quickie pie little break. And then we will be back to jump right on into section four of the rules, which is all about the penalties. Oh boy. Okay, we are back. Let's go ahead and move to section four of the WFTDA rulebook. If you want to follow along, you can go to wftda.com and access the rule book there. So, section four, penalties. When a skater commits a rule, infraction, or foul, a penalty may be assessed as a punishment, handicap, or a loss of advantage. Penalties are applied to both a skater and the position that the skater is currently playing. Officials signal and enforce penalties and warnings as they occur during a game. Penalties should not be assessed for actions that have little to no impact on the game or the skaters. The following types of penalties are addressed in detail in the sections listed below and in the Rules of Flat Track Roller Derby Casebook. These sections hold specific examples that are to be followed explicitly. You hear that, guys? We've got to follow them explicitly. Okay, they sound really strict on that. Illegal actions that do not fall cleanly into one of the categories below should be penalized using these descriptions and examples as guidelines. If one skater's illegal action causes an opponent to unavoidably commit another illegal action, the opponent will not receive a penalty for the unavoidable illegal action. The initial skater should be penalized. Penalized? Penalized? It'll just come out as it comes out. The initial skater should be penalized if the initial illegal action has sufficient impact on the game. Okay, let's talk about section 4.1, 
contact penalties. Gaining position on an opponent or causing an opponent to lose position to another teammate due to illegal contact is always considered to have sufficient impact on the game. Star passes can only be blocked by legal means. Skaters who prevent a star pass using illegal contact should be penalized. Let's see if there is anything about section 4.1 in the casebook. As a matter of fact, there are, oh, but it's about section 4.1.1, which we'll talk about right now. Let's go back to the rulebook, section 4.1.1, impact to an illegal target zone. Making contact to an illegal target zone should be penalized based on the impact it has on the target. See section 2.4.1. Illegal target zones include back of the body, including the back of the buttocks, and the back of the thighs, head down to the collarbone, below mid-thigh. For safety reasons, avoidable forceful contact to the back or any forceful contact to the head or neck should be penalized regardless of the impact. A skater suddenly pressing an illegal target zone to an opponent, giving that opponent no reasonable opportunity to avoid illegal contact, is considered to be initiating with that target zone. Okay, let's go to the casebook. Casebook section 4.1.1. Making contact to an illegal target zone should be penalized based on the impact it has on the target. And you can see section 2.4.1 for target zones. And I also have pictures of that on my Instagram. Okay, scenario C4.1.1.8. Oh, I have to say this. I forgot to say this first. For the following scenarios, the following information should be assumed. The home team is wearing red uniforms. The visiting team is wearing white uniforms. Both teams have legally fielded three blockers, a pivot, and an active jammer unless otherwise noted. The jam begins and the pack is defined and all skaters move counterclockwise unless otherwise noted and begin to block one another. Okay, so that's the, all of the situation that is happening for all of these scenarios. Home team is red, visitors are white, both teams have the proper amount of blockers, pivot, and jammer. The jam has already begun, the pack is defined, everyone's moving counterclockwise, and they have begun to block one another. That's where we're at. All right, C4.1.1.8. White blocker, falling as a result of contact with red blocker, falls small by tucking their arms and legs close into their body. Red jammer, skating close behind, trips over white blocker and falls. What do you think should happen? Well, there would be no penalty. Here's why. The white blocker did everything in their power to prevent themselves from being a hazard. Keep in mind, were this the third time white blocker had caused an opponent to fall in this manner, they should receive a penalty. While falling small mitigates the safety risk of a skater falling on the track, excessive falling with impact represents a larger safety risk that should result in a penalty. That's a really good point. You know, skating and you fall and you fall small and you, you're trying to do the best you can not to cause any further damage. But if it's to the point where you're falling down all the time, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a safety issue. So scenario C4.1.1.B. The red jammer skates along the inside line 
and attempts to jump the apex to pass the pack. White Pivot legally initiates a block to Red Jammer's upper arm, which knocks Red Jammer off balance, and their jump comes up short. Red Jammer falls out of bounds. They fall small, but their momentum causes them to slide back onto the track into White Blocker's legs. White Blocker trips over Red Jammer and falls. Here's the outcome. The Red Jammer is penalized. Here's why. The Red Jammer is considered in bounds when White Pivot initiates a legal block. Though Red Jammer fell small, their forward momentum back onto the track means that they are a safety risk for more than just a small space. White Blocker's loss of position as a result of that risk is enough to warrant a penalty. Scenario C4.1.C Red Pivot and two red blockers form a three-person wall. White Blocker initiates a block to the back of Red Pivot with a legal blocking zone. Red Pivot does not fall but is pushed out of the center of the wall. White Jammer is able to pass the other two red blockers at the hips before Red Pivot reclaims their position. The outcome. White Blocker is penalized. Here's why. White Blocker did not gain advantage from their block to an illegal target zone, but a teammate did. White Jammer earned passes and therefore scored points. Keep in mind, if White Blocker had fully moved through the wall and continued on, that would also justify a penalty for gaining position, even though they were not scoring points. That makes sense. I mean, you did an illegal action that gave your Jammer an advantage, even though, you know... You're not the one that gained advantage, your team did. So yeah, just don't hit people in the back. Okay, scenario C4.1.1.D. Red blocker initiates a chest-to-chest block against white blocker. The force of the impact causes secondary contact of red blocker's upper arm to white blocker's neck. White blocker's head jerks back, but they do not fall off balance or go down. The outcome, Red Blocker is penalized. Here's why. Though Red Blocker's hit was to a legal target zone with a legal blocking zone, and White Blocker lost neither position nor advantage, forceful contact to the head or neck should always result in a penalty. Keep in mind, incidental contact to the neck or head that is not forceful and does not have any other impact should not result in a penalty. Scenario C4.1.1.E Red blocker skates clockwise when white blocker steps behind them, positionally blocking red blocker's back with a legal target zone. Red blocker stops skating clockwise. Outcome, no penalty. Here's why. A skater cannot be penalized for positionally blocking an illegal target zone. Skaters may be oriented and moving in various directions during a game. Yeah. Scenario C4.1.F. White Jammer approaches the rear of the pack, targeting Red Blocker. Well before impact is made, Red Blocker sidesteps, presenting their back an illegal target zone. White Jammer makes contact anyway and knocks Red Blocker down. The outcome. White Jammer is penalized. Here's why. Red Blocker established a new position before White Jammer made contact. White Jammer is responsible for their initiated block, regardless of what their original target had been. Keep in mind, 
If White Jammer had no reasonable opportunity to avoid Red Blocker's illegal target zone because Red Blocker had presented that illegal target zone at the last moment, Red Blocker would then be initiating with their back a legal blocking zone. Because White Jammer would not be considered the initiator, no penalty is warranted. Okay, I feel like this one really warrants a pause as referees. This is very, very important to watch for the initiation. And I hear it all the time from the refs with more experience for me. If you cannot say the initiation, the impact, the outcome, start to finish, don't call the penalty. Just because you see like a back being hit and someone going down doesn't always mean, you know, one person is responsible. You have to be able to say who initiated that. Did the red blocker present their back at the last minute? If so, they were initiating a block with a legal blocking zone. Sometimes a skater or captain, not the skater, a skater would not call for an official review. A captain or an alternate would call for the official review. And they may say, I saw a back block on on this blocker from my team and you didn't call it and they should the other team should go to the penalty box for a back block well the refs may get together and the non-skating officials you know who had eyes on it may get together and say you know it definitely was impact to the back but red blocker is the one that initiated the block with their back and that is legal and so they did that so there is no penalty you know so it's it's really important because back back blocks and safety is super important and so we're extra cautious to look for that but um the initiator is a is a very important part of how penalties are called so just i wanted to really highlight that in this moment it's been highlighted (laughs) okay Boy, oh boy, there are a lot of them in this. Holy camoly, it goes all the way to J. (laughs) So let's take another little break because I'm kind of stumbling over my words here. And then we'll get through a bit more of of this fun talk about penalties. Okay, I'll be right back. All right, we're at G. Scenario C4.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1.1
poses a safety hazard to white blocker, which has sufficient impact on the game to expel red jammer if judged to be negligent, intentional, or reckless, regardless of if white blocker lost position. I have to tell you, I love it when they start saying flagrant violation. Flagrant violation. Oh my gosh, that would be an awesome derby name. Flagrant violation. Is there, is there anybody already named flagrant violation? I'm very curious. If not, um, there should be, and you should tell me that you named yourself flagrant violation. I bet you could make that into a pun. Like It has the word flag and rant, so like flagrant. Hmm, there's there's magic here somewhere. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, scenario C4.1.1.I. Red Jammer is stuck behind a wall of white blockers. Red Jammer forcefully blocks white blocker 1 in the back, but due to a legal assist from white blocker 2, white blocker 1 remains in position. The outcome, Red Jammer is penalized. The rationale, contact to an opponent's back is illegal in part because it is unsafe. Red Jammer was in control of their actions and initiated illegal, forceful contact to the back of White Blocker 1. This action is penalized regardless of the impact or outcome. Keep in mind, if Red Jammer initiated non-forceful contact to the back of White Blocker 1 with a legal blocking zone, the threshold for a penalty would be that of the illegal target zone contact. Scenario C4.1.J. Red Jammer is approaching White Blocker 1. White Blocker 2 initiates a legal block on Red Jammer at the last second, forcing them out of their trajectory and directly into the back of White Blocker 1 without any opportunity to recover before making contact. White Blocker 1 receives forceful contact but maintains their position ahead of Red Jammer and does not otherwise lose position. The outcome no penalty. The rationale. Red Jammer was hit into the illegal contact with the white blocker won by an opponent's legal gameplay. As such, their forceful contact to the back was unavoidable. The illegal contact does not result in any other impact such as loss of position that warranted a penalty. Keep in mind, a skater is responsible for maintaining control of their body and the contact they initiate as a result of legal gameplay. If White Blocker 1 had lost position, Red Jammer would be penalized. Keep in mind, if Red Jammer made forceful contact to the back of White Blocker 1 due to the assist of a Red teammate, then the contact would be considered avoidable and the Red Jammer would be penalized. So that makes sense. If you block your own... No. If you assist your teammate and that assist results in that teammate committing a back block, then it is avoidable because you're on the same team and you could have avoided doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to stop recording the rule book and case book here because the next section is also pretty lengthy in the case book and I don't want to like start it and get like halfway through and I actually have a surprise for you <laughs> and I'm a little nervous but I think you're gonna like it. I made a song about um about star passes. Well like I rewrote a song that already exists. So um, I will sing it for you. Hold on one second. I have to cue up the audio. 
boy. Ooh, this is so silly. It's going to be so much fun. Talking at you again next Monday. Goodbye.